0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine Thursday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you?
1: Hi, Dave. How are you?
0: Great. You I'm didn't in answer be- my question.
1: I'm very good. I'm in between uh, you know, just Omaha now going on to beautiful Phoenix. And it's not even Phoenix. It's out, it's not even Mesa. I there's a second airport. It's like out near Gateway. I don't know. Their second airport. But anyway, Omaha was kind of fun. Omaha. Like in Council Bluffs, Iowa was not fun. It snowed. <laughs> it actually snowed. But uh yeah, Omaha. I found a speakeasy. It was called Wicked Rabbit. You walk into this whiskey store which is really small and you say wicked rabbit and a whole cabinet opens up and you go to this bar in the back it was very cool yeah it was cool
0: that's pretty cool yeah speakeasies very strange
1: you know and um just i I like downtowns that are like four or five square blocks and everything's right there and there's something every you know 10 feet so that was kind of fun
0: yeah that's like a good spot for like um well, obviously for an AAU basketball tournament, but do like a do like a I don't know an NCAA uh, regional in one of those places. Uh,
1: C- Creighton would probably be a good. I think they could. Ho- man, their baseball facility, dang, yeah. they take their baseball and their um, basketball very, very seriously. There,
0: Jesuits something it's, it's the in Omaha. With sports, man. Yep, they don't. They don't. They go mess hard. Around. Yeah,
1: that Jesuits don't mess around <laughs> with with the <laughs> basketball. <laughs>
0: Jesuits do not mess around baby
1: um,
0: but wouldn't it be better if it was o mama or ohaha instead of Omaha oh because then you could go back and forth the same what, way. what
1: is it what go what is in your DNA it like a hundred years ago in Germany were all of your ancestors finding different pronunciations for things
0: no I'm just saying uh, <laughs> we, could, we could have some palindrome fun with it then
1: uh, okay go ahead go on but, let's but hit, everyone Obama. let's indulge Dave. No, go the, ahead. The I'm, reverse, I, I like the, what you said, so keep going.
0: The reverse is just Ohama. That's not as fun, but I wanted to be Ohama both ways, or Ohaha both ways.
1: Ohama. I mean? Yeah.
0: Anyway. Oh mama. Uh, here Omaha. We are.
1: <laughs> here Omaha, we go. Omaha. Omaha, you mean.
0: Tracy, you caused a little bit of consternation on our message board this morning, and I want you to atone for that. Atone? Yeah.
1: There's no atonement, Dave. You mean yeah. maybe explain it? Um, uh, it's self-explanatory yeah, sure. pretty much. Um, you know, I, I said when uh, Dante Moore had committed to UCLA, there was a boost in uh, UCLA NIL donations. And that was true, but it is considerably tailed off at this point. I'd say there were even some donors who rescinded their donation pledge. Uh People ask why, and there's basically three reasons. UCLA donors are, are not a big donating bunch. Let's just put it that way. It's hard sledding. You know, like, there are plenty of UCLA donors out there. David Geffen, I, we might have talked about this, has given $500 million to UCLA and not one dime to the athletic department. Uh, there are plenty of huge UCLA donors. UCLA donorship overall as a university is flourishing but for whatever reason, there's there's um, a struggle when it comes to UCLA athletic donors. Um, so that's it's a, a, a you know a basic malay among UCLA football donors, and you know if you win, uh, more people want to donate. So that's a that's a key to it. Um, I I said that UCLA basketball nil. doing better than football people were saying oh well there's that's because football spread out no it's it's literally ucla basketball nil has earned more money than ucla football so it's the donors themselves the program could do more within ncaa rules to support nil donorship um you can you know you can have events People who represent the program go out and schmooze donors. You don't have to talk about NIL. They can just go out and schmooze, schmooze, schmooze. Donors will be more apt to then donate. Um, and then the biggest controversial element of this is there is a natural uh, competition, confrontation between within any school and athletic department and specific program and it's NIL program. NIL are not, uh, the collectives are not part of the university. So let's say you've got a UCLA donor who wants to give some money and he's been giving to the wooden athletic fund for years, or he's thinking of a new donation. You have UCLA fundraisers. That's what they do at UCLA is, is fundraise. That's their job who wants you to give to the wooden athletic fund while now there is a new place to put your money, and that's the NIL collectives. Um, you would think they might be able to coexist, but if someone has a hundred bucks and he wants to give it somewhere, I mean, those two entities are fighting it out for the money. And from what I've heard from a number of sources, they're not living harmoniously at this point. Um UCLA is not just uh going out to raise its WAF money and and doing that singularly I've heard that they are discouraging people from giving money to UCLA and IL so So, yeah go ahead
0: so this is a really interesting thing because um, this is something we were talking about early early on but um SEC schools and Big Ten schools to an extent and Big 12 schools to an extent and some ACC schools all having built in cheating apparatus meant that there were two funnels that were already in place in a lot of these schools for donations. So there was already an understanding that, you know, there's the public money and then there's the people who are the bag men who are given money to the acquisition of players. What NIL has done is made that above board at those schools, but the apparatus was already in place, so it was a pretty seamless transition. Yeah. Uh, at UCLA, and this is something I was concerned about from the beginning, but um, it's not just that there isn't the apparatus; it's that there's no built-in understanding that X amount of money goes here and X amount of money goes here into the slush fund, um, and the slush fund is now the public, you know, NIL or whatever, but um, there's you know it, the the worry was always that they were going to have to essentially swallow some pride and and cannibalize their donors or completely build a new donor base um but building a new donor base at this stage with UCLA football being in the state it's in is difficult um so you have to it's essentially it's an investment thing. They've got to cannibalize now to invest in the future where they might be able to build more donor base. But the, the the thing that's going to have the most direct impact on whether or not Chip Kelly can field a program that can build more donor base in the next two years is NIL.
1: Uh, clearly, in my mind. I mean, I've seen this. If I just view it knowing what I know, you know, being a pretty close observer of how all this works. But also, I now have first-hand knowledge of all of this and how this all works. Um, the key to, the, the primary determining factor here in raising money, just I'll make a general statement, is winning on the field. It's the number one thing. Um, so that right there enough would lend you to believe, would lend it to believe that getting the players to win is at the top of the Pyramid here, um, so just from that standpoint, there's already a so the programs need money to function. They get money from a lot of different places. They get it from tickets, season ticket holders, concessions, gear. I mean, it it they bring in money. Um, WAF is another way to enhance that. If it just relied on ticket sales, there would be no UCLA football program. There is a well-established base of WAF money. The program right now is functioning fine. It's not like, dang, we better increase our WAF donations right now or the program is going under. No, it's it's well afloat. And then there is going to, very soon, there's going to be money from the Big Ten, which all goes into this above-board fund, right? Yeah. And so... Just say that's fine. That boat is afloating just fine on its own. To get that boat onto shore, you need some guys. And the way to do that is to win, is to get guys to win. And all the boats are raised. God, I've, I really did a, a job. Yeah. Um, you win. It trickles down to more waft donations, more concessions, more season tickets. So the new money that's coming in for donations, you would think there'd be some forward-thinking people saying, wow, we recognize how important NIL is. We need this team to win. I I wonder what would happen if UCLA ever won 11 games. Our WAFs would probably, donations would probably just blow up. Um, So that's the way this is working right now. Uh, That's the way I see it functioning. I think the number one priority at this point is easily NIL money because I I am seeing UCLA missing out on guys on transfers and to an extent a bit on recruits. I mean, Dante Moore was a bit of an exception when it comes to high school recruits, Um, but it is a factor with high school recruits, Um, but a big factor. In transfer recruiting, and obviously UCLA is emphasizing transfer recruiting. It's doing pretty well, but to really win players and bring them in, the guys are going to have big impact to let get UCLA to that 11-win kind of watermark. That's it's nil, and it's it's clear to me. Um, so then the next question is. Why is the UCLA athletic department doing that? In a, I think it would take a lot. Well, maybe not a lot of vision, but it would take some vision to concede that what's best in the long term is for the NIL program to really be robust here. Um, that it would help them with their WAF donations, and then they're judged their jobs are judged their job performance are are judged by how much they generate in WAF donations. So it's very much about, it's very much about doing, trying to get ahead in their own individual jobs and they don't have more of a long-term vision on what could help the program and help and help the athletic department.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a short-term profit mentality, um, which is not a great indication just generally. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, there was always like going back in the day um, regarding UCLA and and when we were linking a lot of the funding to ticket sales and saying, well, you need to invest in it first and maybe take a hit because if you get a good coach, and you know this is back before even Wasserman Center and all that kind of stuff, but like w- w- when. When that was kind of the thing, where it's you've got to hire good coaches, you got to pay a little bit more for coaches, and then ticket sales will come after the fact. You don't start gouging people on ticket sales um, when you're putting out a subpar product. It, it just kind of seems like there's always, it, 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 and it's you know it's I, I think there's different nuances to it now, but it's part of the same kind of frustration a little bit with. Um, I think a lot of schools have it, but UCLA is obviously the one we're familiar with, where it's just a weirdly short term mentality, especially considering even with, you know, Martin Jarman's obviously a, a, a guy from outside of the uh, f- family. <laughs> uh, but with how many people inside the athletic department are lifers or pretty close to it, um, it's always been kind of shocking how short term the thinking is.
1: Well, if you just think of it from this standpoint, um, So Dante Moore is going to get a a pretty significant NIL package, let's say. Not as significant as it would have been if he went elsewhere. Um, If Dante Moore, with all the hype that's been around him, um, he was, I think, the number three-ranked quarterback in the 2023 class nationally. During signing day, got a lot of attention. People know who he is now, right? I mean, even UCLA fans are well aware. If he wins the starting spot, Dave, what do you think that means in season... Well, not just season tickets, but ticket sales next year? Average of five to six to 10,000 more people going to the game because they're hearing about this kid, the hype for him? Sure. Do the money on that. Just do the math. I mean, that could be half a million dollars more a game. Even if it isn't, I mean, you get what I'm saying. You get the concept. I, I mean... This is in turn on your investment here,
0: pretty well. And this is this is where I think an understanding of what you're kind of looking at is a huge part of it. And I mean, I I don't think um, the athletic department generally has had a very good feel for football for a long, long time at UCLA. Um, and I think when we're looking at spring ball right now, Tracy, what I see is a potentially really good team that has a major major problem right now which is that offensive line and just to link these two things together if you went out and said you know what we're going to direct a bunch of donors to put into nil so that they can shore up like and be very specific about it so they can shore up the offensive line for this coming year we could have a really good team and then that'll allow us to make back that money and then some But I think it requires an understanding, first of the general UCLA fundraising apparatus, which is, um, you know, it's, it's the classic field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. I mean, it's, the reason Wasserman got built is because Jim Mora was very successful on the field those first two years. Like that's the reason that happened. It wasn't just fundraising in a vacuum. It was heavily linked to success on the field, proof of concept. Uh, if Chip Kelly goes out there and wins 10 games this year, then it's further proof of concept like, oh, okay, this can work and I can get excited about it and my money can follow. Um, and, uh, but you need to have that understanding of how close it is or how far away it is. Uh, if you are, you know, somebody who's in charge of the fundraising, and I just don't think there's that, um, Level of being in touch with it. And I don't, and I, again, that's not even highly specific to Martin Jarman. I think that's been a, the case for the athletic department for 20 years.
1: Uh, it's not, it's not even the athletic department, it's the university. I mean, Martin sure. Jarman is given his marching orders. He, he's got to do, he's got to, I would say that Jarman probably doesn't have a lot of wiggle room on what he's able to do. Yeah. Um, athletic directors at UCLA, this is this is what it comes down to, no matter if you're a football coach, athletic director. Um, you have to have the guts to just say, eh, I'm not going to do it their way. I'm just going to tell them to screw off and do it my way. Mora did that for the first three years. You know who didn't do that, which was really crazy, was Ben Halland. You would think Ben Halland, that irascible guy, would you know be a maverick. He wasn't. He's very much a company guy which is kind of interesting. But Mora, being that outsider guy, came in and just said, oh my God, some of the ways this university does things, I'm, screw it. The field, he wanted the field painted black. They said no. He went out and paid for people to paint it overnight when they weren't looking. I mean, that's what he did. It's the force of one personality, right? Um, So there are, that's the way to get something done at UCLA. You have to be able to just say, you know what? I'm going to risk pissing off the university, pissing off my athletic director, and I'm just going to go out and, and do this. Um, the basketball coach, Mick Cronin, has done that more to a degree. Chip Kelly is has come around, like I've been saying, is getting more supportive of what of some things that he needs. He knows he's starting to recognize that he needs to do. Um, but Chip Kelly is more um, of the mindset, if I win on the field, then everything will follow. And, and that could be true. I mean, we've said it before. If UCLA wins at a very high level, a lot of things will fall into place. But the problem is he hasn't won at a high level yet. So that's why we are where we are. Um, and not just that he didn't win at a high level, the first three seasons were were abysmal. So that's why this is where it is. The way his personality is, it's not, it's to, I'm going to go, I'm not going to do talking. I'm just going to let what I do on the field speak for me. And that's great. If you're winning 11 games a season.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you're not, it's um, a barren wasteland. But,
1: but he has gotten better. He has shown the capacity to learn what he needs to do it's just it's it's just not his personality to do a lot of this stuff and i know people say well he better learn and he's learning um but it's also a a specific very unusual circumstance i think it's not an sec team where everyone is on board with supporting the program it's ucla and it's different you know yeah. there there are donors out there who are donating money to the medical center where they are literally trying to cure cancer um rather than throw this spherical ball around a grass field
0: so well offensive linemen are generally pretty smart um so i think if you if you get enough of them into school they'll figure out cancer
1: <laughs> that's probably <laughs> that's a good pitch right there <laughs> um well i mean I, right now they need an offensive lineman. i I, I, I mean again
0: is an interesting word there talk to okay me more well about I'm Anne trying and not to be putting an S at the end of that I'm
1: trying to be conservative let's just say let's just say that um uh Kaderi Kunta is coming in I think he's going to be a, a pretty decent solid starting left tackle mm-hmm. uh Spencer Holsage I think is going to prove to be one of the best players on the team um, I think he's fine. Um, he'll be the starting left guard. Duke Clemens will be, I think, has the potential to be one of the best centers in the league next season. Um, Garrett DiGiorgio at right tackle, serviceable, you could upgrade that. And then right guard is is the issue. Um, I would feel okay uh, I, I'm kind of flipping my perspective. I'm kind of taking your perspective that the offensive line has been so good recently you could plug guys in. I think Ciali, Ciali Topaki would be able to plug in. We haven't seen him. He's been hurt. He looks great just running around on the sideline. Um, but whether he's there and able to play in fall, that's a question. I don't really see Benjamin Roy serviceable backup for limited minutes I think so they if Seali Tapaki comes through and can play and Brandon Rory is serviceable if they could plug in one more guy at possibly right tackle move Garrett DiGiorgio to right guard possibly or find an interior guard I think they'll be good they'll be thin they'll only be maybe seven or eight playable I haven't seen anyone else who's really playable so far this spring. Have you? Um, no, no, I think, uh, Josh Carlin will have to play. And yeah, Josh Carlin's probably
0: been, well, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically Benjamin Roy, who's pure backup right now. Um, and then it's probably Josh Carlin. I don't know about any of the tackles. Uh, Jalen Jeffers hasn't really impressed me. Um, Bruno Fina, I just, doesn't seem to be clicking. And he's Uh, a
1: redshirt junior. Yeah. Uh, As is Jalen Jeffery.
0: Yeah, uh, not not a ton to like in the backup crew.
1: Noah Pugliali is the guy, I hate to say this about him, but he's been disappointing for me because coming out of High School Man, his film was really impressive. So there's obviously something happening in this development that you would not have projected. Yeah. If he were starter level right now, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore. Time to be a starter level, right? <laughs> You're going on your your third year in the program. Right now he's finishing his second year in the program. So time to be able to play. Um so that's a dis- that's pretty much a disappointment. Um So, yeah, they they need that's why I said one guy to be, if they could get two, the problem is with two Dave is that you have two kinds of transfers. You've got, you've got guys who are looking to come in and start who were starters, something, or, you know, they were, something went wrong with the program where they were, or they were the sixth guy and they want to start where they're going. Or you've got young developmental guys who just aren't happy in the program. So, if you find one more guy who plugs in it, you'd be able to sell him that. Hey, you could come in and start at right guard or right tackle, and we'll move Garrett DeGiorgio to right guard. The second guy, I don't know how you're how you're selling the second guy because among those two categories, you got a guy who wants to start. I don't know who he's displacing in terms of starting. Maybe Garrett DeGiorgio, and then you're pissing off DeGiorgio, Di- who might go into the transfer portal. Um, or you get a developmental guy who could start in two years but isn't ready now. So that's why I'm saying, realistically, one guy.
0: Yeah, realistically, you go back in time three years and recruit the offensive line better.
1: <laughs> realistically, Dave. You're realistically, saying realistically, you build get time. a time machine.
0: Again, if you... Throw out the N. I L for offensive line. Which is more might, realistic than might,
1: what we're saying. You might be aside.
0: able to crack um, the speed of light and figure out how to go back
1: in time. So right now they're recruiting a Colorado transfer, Jake Wiley, who started twenty something games for Colorado. On one hand, good, he's just you know, he's a power five starter. On the other hand it was Colorado. I've watched yeah. some film of him. I think he would he, he was a tackle. I think he wants to transfer someplace he'd be a tackle. But, um, Jake, I think if you have a chance as an NFL player, it's going to be as a guard. (laughs) So maybe this would be a good fit for you. Or or maybe just come in and say, hey, you've got two opportunities to start at right guard and right. If you're better than DiGiorgio, they'll move DiGiorgio inside. Or if you're willing and you're good at guard, you'll play right guard, and that might be your potential NFL position. I think he would come in and probably – start unless Tapaki, when he's really healthy beats him out and then you'd have then that would be a really good solution because you'd have a a guy who started 22 games within your rotation of the top six guys who played both tackle and guard right so yeah i mean the transfer portal closes in three days well yeah three days um I don't. There aren't going to be too many other <laughs> opportunities here. I'd say go all in on Jake Wiley with and getting back to nil. I mean, I I would bet he's not looking for a big nil payout, but it couldn't hurt. While at the same time, they're pursuing Colorado cornerback transfer Nico Reed, a former starter there too. Five. I mean, smallish. Watch some solid guy might come in. Could possibly. I'd think he'd be in the top four Yeah. And and Dave if you've been following it I know he's cleaning house but what is coach prime doing at Colorado aren't there guys he could use that he's throwing out baby bathwater thing
0: This feels like yes uh the baby is unfortunately getting thrown out with the bathwater um I'm I'm becoming increasingly skeptical uh because of of his potential for success there because um you just—it would be unprecedented to build a, a successful roster this way. This is level of attrition higher than what Chip Kelly had through year one, and we were, you know, ringing alarm bells that entire time. Now his, and look what happened. His recruiting and his transfer acquisition has been better, and certainly you can rebuild faster. But the lack of continuity, this roster is going to have the lack of familiarity with each other. Um. I mean, they. It wasn't just Jake Wiley. They lost four offensive linemen yesterday to the portal. Two of them were starters.
1: Something's happening there. I mean, yeah. do, do they have the offensive linemen to replace them?
0: Well, and the the no. And the other thing. See, is... See, I don't know. I'm
1: I'm legitimately well, and, asking. D-
0: Defensive line is the real issue. Uh, defensive line. I don't think they have. Um, they don't have a single returner now from last year, and uh, I think they've only recruited a few. So they're. They're gonna have a really, really light rotation unless they clean up. Um, essentially, over the next whatever three months of grad transfer. I mean, it's a whatever. theory.
1: He's trying to build in a tra- in the transfer portal era, nil era. It's a theory for him, and I don't. I kind of respect him a little that he's completely going out of the box. You know, pushing the envelope in a in a completely different direction and attempting to do this. I'm just questioning whether it will. <laughs> Whether it will pay, maybe he's looking longer term. I mean, right now, our it expectations like, really yeah. that high for the first year. Maybe post five wins, he's able to, you know, parlay that into using this theory to build a program and then get more transfers next year.
0: It feels like it's um, a bunch of try hard motivational stuff where he's like, well, nobody on a one and 11 team could have been good. And it's just, it feels like it's a little bit lower. Um, it's just kind of a, a of a not actually doing the hard work of a um, rebuild, which is you have to evaluate what you have and see if you can coach it up
1: there There's uh, a weird element to this too that I've seen in so much of college sports. It's not my guy.
0: It's very strange though, not my
1: guy. I didn't recruit him. I don't know him. I didn't he he was here he's not my guy. It happens all the time.
0: Yeah, but even if – so the thing is, like, as a human being, even if you look at your roster of not your guys, you're going to find a few of them who are your kind of guys, I, right? I,
1: I I don't know. No, I but that's know. the thing is, like, there's Chip Kelly found a handful.
0: He found more than a handful. He found, like, 50 guys. He's cut – dude, it's down to, like, 18 guys from the opening roster of 2022 that are still on the roster. It might be less now. I mean, he yesterday. found a
1: handful of guys that he retained that actually played for him. But
0: okay, but Dion's down to 18 guys, most yeah. of whom were backups. Like they're they're just waiting to go into the portal over the next few days. I wouldn't be surprised if it's single digits going into next season, and that is insane. Like that's just crazy. And if you look at it, like the, he lost Montana uh, Limonius Craig, who's really good, and see why what's did that going kind of on
1: leave? there. You're, yeah, no, your top three player think, on the team, right?
0: I don't think the vibes are good. Like, I don't think the vibes are good in that program. I think after you get past the ship. hype, yeah, I think guys are jumping ship because they're like, I don't want to be a part of this. They've got YouTube
1: cameras all over the place all the time. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm
0: performing. I'll uh, tell you this
1: though, they've sold out their. Uh, I have a source. I don't know if it's public. Uh, they've sold out their season tickets for the football season. That must be forty to fifty thousand. I, I think that thing seats fifty five, right? Yeah. They've sold out their season tickets. They had, I think, they had fifty thousand for the spring, their spring game, but they've sold out their season tickets. Yeah. Hey, it's all about the money too. I mean, it's
0: it's about the money, but again, we're talking short term. If they are ass again this year, like because they don't have a defensive line. But if he
1: wins three games, he's going to say, "See, it's we we've we got some traction." We're if he if he wins three
0: if he wins three games, he's going to be gone next year.
1: You think he, so? He,
0: no, he's going. Oh, to he
1: games. will leave.
0: Yeah, he he'll want no part of winning.
1: Three is games. he gonna? He's going to start his son at quarterback.
0: Yeah, his son's pretty good.
1: I, I know, but there's always that's always tough.
0: Yeah, very tough.
1: Anyway, anyway, talking about Colorado. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, UCLA. So the the but the so one thing I would say, just kind of going away from NIL, is I I was I'm skeptical of writing too heavily about it, but I'm starting to think the defense is going to be significantly improved.
1: Okay, let's talk about the defensive line because I sure. think there's talent there. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm just scared really about the depth. Uh, I think. Uh, I've been impressed with Keanu Williams. If Gary Smith can actually play a season without getting hurt, and then Jay Toia, that's that's a pretty nice rotation of those three. Um, I think they need one, uh, you know, David Magna. Is he really going to, are they going to be able to win with him playing defensive? T- he actually, among all those guys, he wasn't horrible last year. He wasn't great, but he wasn't horrible. But can you win with him? With that rotation, don't you need one more good player?
0: Yeah, and it's it's tough because I don't think I, I'm I'm a little bit lower on Magna than even you are, um, and Sitivnyi uh, uh, Havili Kavusi um, is, mm, you know, you probably. can't use
1: them for any extended minutes and really think you're going to win at a high level. I think.
0: I think with, uh, what I what I like that I'm seeing is um, increased flexibility with what they're trying to do up front, um, and so there's a lot more of you know okay, moving a Murphy in it, yeah, at moving tech. a Murphy in at three tech, which they did in, in fits and starts last year. But frankly, those guys might be better uh, inside. Um, obviously, not size wise, but um, some aspects of their skill set fit better there. They're more strength and quickness. Um. So I, I don't really mind what they're doing up front. And again, it's so hard to evaluate because the offensive line is in such bad shape. Uh, but it just looks more sound, particularly against the run. Um, like, they just look like they're flowing better. And I think a big part of that is, yeah, I think JTOE has improved a little bit. I think he's eaten space a lot better. I think he's, you know, eaten up blocks a lot better. And then you've got linebacker play that I do think has taken a step up. You know, Darius Muasau looks a hair quicker. Uh Femi Oladejo looks like a player. Um and we're not even seeing John John Vons or Ali Cajo who might, you know, be
1: starter level top, guys in that
0: top four at the yeah. very least uh heading into next year. So I think there's reason for optimism I think there's reason for optimism there. And then, frankly, my biggest thing is I thought the secondary was going to be an absolute disaster. Like, just it's going to be a nightmare. They're not going to have playable safeties or playable corners in spring. It's going to look awful. And it really hasn't. Um, I think what they've done at the nickel with uh, Alex Johnson and DJ Justice, both those guys look like they found their spots. Um, Kenny Churchwell has rarely looked better. Um, and at cornerback, Isaiah Newcomb, uh, has really flashed for me over the last week and a half, especially. Um, See,
1: Dave, don't get this wrong, but I think it's, we're falling, I, I agree with you on my perception, but I think we're falling into that same spring thing of familiarity bias. Um, can they really win at a high level with Alex Johnson at nickel? I mean, does he have an elite, is that? Is that a high-level talent? No, I kind of think
0: DJ Justice needs to um, eclipse him there, and I think it might happen.
1: Okay, but I mean, questionable whether DJ Justice is going to be a high-level talent. I I'm
0: I'm really starting to like DJ Justice, though.
1: But you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I get it. I totally yeah. get it, and you're not wrong. And it, this is always the uh, this is always the problem with uh, spring football is you're watching. Um, you know, you're just watching these guys go against the same players all the time, and it's just team against team, so you don't really have a comparative set. The reason why I'm I'm uh, optimistic about the secondary is look at who they're going against most of the time. They're going against J. Michael Sturdivant. They're going against Kyle Ford. And, yeah, those guys are making some plays, but the coverage isn't bad, um, and particularly at cornerback, which is where I was expecting it to look a little bit, yucky uh i, I think you <laughs> to know, get I, technical i'm pretty skeptical of john humphrey i don't know that it's gonna ever fully click for him but i've liked what i've seen out of jalen davies and isaiah newcomb and devin kirkwood's been fine
1: he's been uh, fine see that's the thing i think they needed someone devin kirkwood was a high level recruit four-star guy came in and started as a freshman they need him to step up and be like all pac 12 level yeah and i haven't seen it really this spring yet it could be he is going up against some pretty good players but i don't know i uh, just a little a little skeptical i just keep having to uh, uh remind myself that uh, we might be because we're starting to watch him a lot we're starting to um think they're better than they are yeah I mean, it's a thing that you fall into every spring. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. And when we go and take the higher overall view, we're worried about the offensive line, as we should be, as we said. The offense will probably be fine. Even when UCLA wasn't very good under Chip Kelly, the offense wasn't horrible (laughs) ever, right? Yeah. It's always been the defense. So it really is about getting a decent defense here. And given the personnel that we've seen, it's still gonna be about huh? it's gonna be about Danton Lynn, too. I I mean, what's the scheme? Is are they gonna is that gonna be an advantage? I'll be honest.
0: I, I it's it's almost impossible to identify like really significant nuances with the scheme. So impossible. For, formationally it's a 4-2-5. I mean, that's that seems to be their basic. That flexes
1: different ways, you know.
0: Yeah, they can do I mean, they're they're doing a lot of dime, um, but it's a lot of nickel. There's some some base stuff where they're doing like something like a 4-3, but it's a it's a it, it's so weird because the personnel um at defensive tackle has been kind of limited with Gary Smith out, so they've been putting the Murphys in, so it'll look like almost a pass rush package up front when they're running a 4-3. See, and
1: that, is that really a pass rush package, or are yeah, they just you desperate know. for someone inside? Right. Uh,
0: and the one thing I'd say is that they appear to be pretty aggressive with the nickel, um, which, you know, that's kind of a telltale for whether, you know, they're going to be kind of the get in the backfield, make plays type of defense or pure coverage based. They seem to be liking to get those guys upfield um, with some regularity. Now, that's not to say they're going to be blitz happy, but um, some of it is also the players they have. Uh, having Kenny Churchwell as your deep safety means that your deep safety is going to be playing in the backfield of the offense a lot because that's just the way that guy plays. He wants to go hit
1: somebody. Which, and See, I, I question that. I think he's more of a box safety than a free safety. He's totally. playing deep safety right now. Yeah, uh, He's always been able to play in front of him better than behind him.
0: Yeah, and I wonder, you know, it's going to be interesting because Danton Lin is a secondary
1: uh, guru. He's a guy
0: with a secondary background. Um, and usually, when you run into defensive coaches with a secondary background, they like to play a lot of coverage. That's their, more their comfort level. They're not really the super aggressive, you know, get in the backfield types. So it's going to be interesting to see what the play calling actually looks like heading into the year. But yeah. we can't. It's it's almost impossible to suss it out just from watching practice because they're. Oftentimes, they're giving a look. They're not necessarily running what they would run. So it's, it's, it's tough.
1: Um, we, we do have to mention, too, though, when we're talking about Transfer Portal. Uh, so uh, the Transfer Portal, um, we don't know the exact date, but it was moved up from April, I mean, from May to April 15th to the 30th. I think it took UCLA a, a little off guard. Um, it, they might be benefiting from it because there are I think there are guys who might be considering going in the transfer portal, who are currently on the team that haven't come to the conclusion they haven't finished spring practice, so they haven't concluded yet whether they want to go in the transfer portal. And they, they might not. The practice goes through May 5th. I mean, so far we've seen Jake Newman. That was an obvious one that he's never he's never played. He was probably fifth string at um inside lab at at the will yeah um there are other guys who who would seem like they'd be transfer portal candidates and we haven't heard anything and you got three days maybe at the you know you can also put your name in the portal and then not announce it even though there are spies who have access to that portal (laughs) (laughs) um but, yeah there are three days and uh, UCLA hasn't had a lot of guys going to part. I mean Jake Newman that's been it
0: yeah I, I've, I've been um borderline kind of stunned about it um I think particularly at quarterback and that's the one I've you know see before Saturday I guess but uh the, the so right now so looking at it on Tuesday just you know uh, to reiterate what I said in my report, Dante Moore and uh, Ethan Garbers got 100% of all 11-on-11 11 11 reps over the last, I don't know, hour, hour and 20 of practice. The only uh, session of 11-on-11s where anybody else got reps was the pure run game one where they're just doing almost all runs or really short passes off of runs um, where the quarterback is not the focus. Um, anyone where they were like actually trying to evaluate passing game, it was just those two. So th- I think if you're Justin Martin, the writing's kind of on the wall that you're not going to win it this year. Um, you know, it wasn't last week, but it is kind of now. And so do you get your ducks in a row to do it now or do you wait another year? Um, is And I wonder if a lot of guys are kind of thinking that way now where it's like, well, I didn't really have a great deal of time to do it. So I guess I'll just wait until,
1: you know, the next time the
0: window opens. He
1: is going to. He's just a registered freshman. Yeah. So if he waited another year just to get a better sense, I mean, it, it might it might behoove him because who knows? What I can't. Yeah, who knows? I can't. I can't dispel the the idea, the concept that Dante Moore could very well decide to transfer after a year at UCLA. Plenty of guys are doing it. He goes out and gets another NIL bag somewhere. Um Maybe because he's platooning with Garbers or he didn't win the spot or he won the spot and didn't like the way it went or something went aground. You know, there's plenty of things that could go go amiss when you have such a high-profile guy like that with NIL. Yeah. Just think about that. Um, So maybe it's smart for Justin Martin to hang out for a year because then he'd transfer after that. He'd be a redshirt sophomore at his next place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it might be... uh... Might be more prudent to hang out. Uh, I mean, if
1: if you want to be there, and it seems like he does. That might be prudent.
0: Yeah, but we haven't like anybody that you would think. And we're, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of names, but anybody that you would think, oh, maybe they'll try to poke around. You know, if they're getting buried on a depth chart, no, it doesn't it doesn't seem like that's happening. So,
1: I, like you would think. I mean, I know he's coming off an injury, but you would think like Dacian Morrell, running back.
0: Yeah, totally. And we haven't seen him in the portal. I mean, now he is coming off an injury, and I haven't seen him out there in a couple of days, but that often happens with guys who are injured. Um, and then you have, uh, um, you know, there's guys like Jaden Marshall. He's deep on the death chart now. He would be
1: uh, the guy that would be a real tragedy if he left because he's he's got the speed that UCLA needs at receiver that could, de- you know, and he's a he'll develop into it. He's shown yeah. flashes of, you know, ability to develop.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know, say what you will about the program, but it does not appear to be losing transfers in droves.
1: I guess a lot of it, too, though, when I talk to college coaches and you say, do you think he's this guy's going to transfer this? And when it's a guy, you know, who's just okay, they go, where's he going to go?
0: Yeah, they love doing that.
1: But but it is kind of true. Where is he going to go? I, I mean, is he going to go and go play for a Power Five? Is he going to make a big impact, or is he going to actually have some humility and move down a level because he wants to play college football? That's really rare. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about basketball.
0: Omaha. You were in Omaha, Tracy.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to admit, a lot of times it feels like drudgery when you go out to those tournaments. There's some. Uh, there's a lot of bad basketball. But on the other hand, you know, it, it's fun. That's the fun part. Uh, I mean... I saw LeBron James when he was 15 years old. I saw Russell Westbrook when he was 15 years old and like six foot tall. It, it was fun. It's fun. You're sitting there going, you know, like when I when we saw LeBron James, we knew we we were seeing something, right? I mean, this this is the really fun part of the job, and the way these these tournaments are. Uh, structured and put together are are really good adidas put in this upper deck where you could walk around the coaches could in the media and you could watch five or six different games just from going from one deck above (laughs) above everything like it was on the floor they took a floor out and and put this deck that kind of walks um, above, like on a dais above everything else. And it was really cool. Uh, it was pretty amazing. So instead of like in the olden days when you're going to Las Vegas and you're driving all over Las Vegas to see as many people, it's all in one gym. Um, Nike this weekend, all in one gym. You know, they've got like, I think, 10 courts. And so that makes it that makes it really fun, especially when it's snowing outside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was... So I, st- I, I know people don't want to hear. I stayed at the Courtyard Marriott. It was in Council Bluffs. I made that decision. Because if you went out the back door of the hotel, the facility was in the same parking lot. <laughs> so that made, it, that made it kind of convenient, Dave, which, which was really kind of fun. Um, but yeah, saw a lot there. Uh, UCLA, the, probably the biggest news, UCLA offered um, Corona Centennial guard Eric Freeney uh, as a result of his performance there, um, as, as if you read what I wrote, evaluations, recruiting notes from that, uh, I, I, I kind of anticipated that that would happen. I didn't think it'd happen so quickly. Uh, what might have happened is Mick Cronin saw him, saw everything I saw also, then probably called and talked to the kid and loved him. That's probably, and, and Cronin probably just said, oh, hell, I'm, I'm going to offer this kid. I, I love this kid uh six two-ish I mean on on Twitter is this a six five that makes me six two um <laughs> six two let's say six two and a half uh kind of thick you wouldn't if you look at a team and you just size up bodies that's what you do as a scout he would not be the body that would jump out at you but then when you watch him he's a scorer he's definitely a scorer he can put the ball on the floor he can get in the lane he can finish he can really he can shoot. Got a nice stroke. And he's a decent defender. He's he's so big and thick, especially in his lower body. I saw him body up against guys who were 6'5 and defend them fine. Some high, high-end guys. So I would also think for someone like that, that's going to be an offer like, you know, the offer's on the table for spring and summer. Have fun. Collect as many offers as you want. Talk to people. Maybe take a, you know... You know, go around and see some schools. But uh, yeah, he Freeney has to believe that he'd have to make a commitment to UCLA by probably the end of the summer or it, he will lose that opportunity. That opportunity will close up. Um,
0: it's an exploding offer.
1: Yeah. Uh, DJ Thomas, Dan Thomas, easily was my best, my favorite player watching him last year and he only confirmed that he is just so much fun to watch he made my whole weekend he's (laughs) what how his creativity with the ball with scoring passing is just fun it's just people coaches said to me now don't forget i used to do all west coast basketball recruiting for various networks so i know a lot of assistant coaches there'd be coaches who just said God, I got to go to another game, but I just love to watch him play. And they were—they're not recruiting him. They just wanted to watch him. Um, recruiting wise, uh, I told you I got two different stories. One story was it's between UCLA and Florida. Another one that Houston's right there. So, and Arizona. So, uh, in talking to him, it sounded like he's—he's he's not going to take any more trips. He knows he's got enough information to make a decision. Uh, uh, could happen by June. Uh, he, he said, you know, mid-summer, which June, July, is, I think, is what he's thinking. So that, that those are the two biggest takeaways. Well, probably the third was Sebastian Rancic did not have a good weekend. A lot of the coaches were kind of down on him and talking to him. Uh, I wasn't as down on him as, as some of the coaches. He really struggled with the length and athleticism he in his first game, he's, he's kind of known in high school basketball for catching the top of the key, driving because he's got strong handle and then pulling up, hitting a 15-footer. He tried that against a 7-3 player. <laughs> <laughs> On his first touch, and the 7-3 player didn't leave his feet and just went,, it just. Sw- and so it was, it was a, a learning experience of that much athleticism and length and he, and he had tendinitis they were trying to manage that so he had limited minutes um but he settled in he started i thought playing a better all-around game he started passing the ball he's a really good passer just doing little things going out of bounds tipping a ball to his teammate you know just all those kind of little things hit a couple of threes with a good stroke um then he didn't play the last two games i'm still green light on UCLA taking him uh, it might depend on whether they get a sense from him that he's a tough kid, whether he's, you know, there's toughness there, physical and mental toughness. I think if he kind of proves that out to Mick Cronin, that um, they will hang in and want him and love to take a commitment from him. Um, uh, I see him as a, if that is true, and he's willing to come into the program, probably not start his first year, develop. Uh, over three or four years at least, I think he's a really good fit. But that's a big if. I mean, we're talking the same thing. It's self-screening here, right? Uh, He does have some visits coming up, official visits with Texas, USC, and Colorado. UCLA's visit isn't uh, arranged quite yet. So we'll see how all those go. Um, So that was uh, interesting. There's a guy got to talk about was Travis Perry. Uh, the lead guard, um, he's from Kentucky. He played for Indiana Elite. 6'1", maybe. I called him kind of stumpy, and he kind of was. He actually is staying in my hotel, so I was able to stand right next to him. Okay, we'll say 6'1". Um, thickish through his lower body. Um, I knew he was a shooter the first time I went to watch him. I, I didn't watch his warm-up, but then watched the game, and he scored, he scored like 26 points and hit five threes. The next game, I decided to watch him in warm-up, and he hit 18 threes in a row. <laughs> it's And then he'd do, you know, in the warm-up, a couple of dribbles in, in and it's just automatic. The game, then he scored 20 points. Um, Kentucky's offered him. He's already... <laughs> He's already established the career scoring record for the state of Kentucky by the end of his junior season. I mean, the dude can just shoot the crap out of it. Um, whether UCLA gets to him, I mean, it's going to probably depend on DJ Thomas. Uh, but that he was he was really fun. Um, probably the best big man that I've seen. I, I get to go to Nike this week, but it was uh, Floria Badunga. Um, he's plays his high school ball in Indiana. Is originally from the Congo. A uh, bunch of other programs. Just he's like an adembona lefty version. Just that long, that good a feet. Probably a little better offensively. Maybe not quite as explosive, but dang. <laughs> um, Kansas, Kentucky, you know, even Cincinnati thinks they've got an inside deal with him. I've heard UCLA might have. Be the Dark Horse, there might be a connection through the Congo. Uh, So, all kind of fun stuff. Um, And now I'm going to Nike, there will be more players there. Um, Just a huge list of guys to watch. And, you know, people, when when you say, hey, did you see Taj Ariza or this? I mean, it's hard. Most of the time, there's three games going on at one time. And if you split up your time, you can't really watch one guy. Yeah. Uh, you won't be able to see him. You, you just won't. That that elevated, like stage helped, but you still are taking your attention away. Um, but there's a ton of guys. Uh, Isaiah Elohim, one of UCLA's biggest targets. Uh, uh, Tunde Yosifo, a tw- uh, 2025 guy, will be there. Uh, Trent Perry, one of UCLA's offered uh, guys. Chris Newuli. Um, an offer guy in 2024, just a, a, there'll be a ton more guys there, uh, to watch, um, to my understanding, Mick Cronin will be in Phoenix for Nike YBL this weekend. So fun stuff. Um, if we're talking about recruiting too, I guess we probably have to talk a little bit about international recruiting, uh, you know, everyone was on high alert for a while. I told everyone to kind of stand down. It looks very good, though. It still does, even though it's always uh, a changeable situation. Um, today, this, today, it's the same as it was a few days ago. Uh, I would say, though, you can probably expect some movement within a couple of weeks. Uh, if UCLA gets, I'll just say this, if UCLA gets all the guys it's supposed to get, or it's, it's looking like it could get, it's looking good to get, um, it's going to need some spots open up on its roster. And just you know, logically thinking, the transfer portal, basketball transfer portal, closes May, I think it's May 11th or May 12th, May 11th. Um, so you would want to give the opportunity for, if you take a kid... And it discourages another kid and he wants to go in the transfer portal. You you want to give him the opportunity to be able to do that by the time the transfer portal closes. So I, you know, just thinking that out logically and knowing situations I, I, and we're talking, we're two weeks away from the 11th. So there might be some movement in all of this by within two weeks.
0: Exciting times,
1: exciting times, Dave. Um, We can talk about Adai Mara because we've already recognized him. It's still UCLA's looking really good. He's going to play out his season with Zan Samora. I think I can't remember the name of the team. Um, But right now, it looks like he's—you know—he's the feeling is that he's going to UCLA. I know other other coaches came up to me and said, "Wow, Adai Mara is going to be really good at UCLA." Like, coaches that would, you know, high-profile guys um, last weekend. So, it, it's out that that's where, he's, that's where he's going. Of course, they all have to get through UCLA admissions. That's academics and the English proficiency uh, test. Um, love it. Love we it. Love,
0: we love that English profic- proficiency exam. But
1: there are two other international players beyond a Mara.
0: Beyond a die.
1: Was that enough? Was that good?
0: That was great. That was great. I I will say, um, as a note, I think we need to start classifying recruitments by states of matter. Like, let's get into the physics of it. You know, is it solid? Is it a liquid? Is it a gas?
1: Nothing is solid. Nothing is solid in in the world. I, I mean, even what you think is solid, like this desk, seems solid, but it really isn't if you really get down to the... Atoms and molecules and stuff. I mean well, nothing solid. solid. I mean Dave.
0: The, the the atoms are tighter they're they're, they're tighter together. For yeah. Is and that not solid? Not, it's not perfect solid. You can still can you still break it apart and it's that's not life completely. Is
1: it perfect solid? No. <laughs> that's
0: what I'm saying. So ninety percent is like solid. Uh fifty percent's like a liquid. You know, they're recruiting him and who knows? He gave a soft commitment, but he's given us soft commitment to fifteen other schools. That's a
1: gas. Well We've used the word fluid, but it's also not just that fluid kind of doesn't also imply how changeable things are. There are, especially in international recruiting, because you have a whole other element of the pro club that the kid plays for, right? They have a huge interest, and they're they're another influence and factor in all of it. And it literally can change um, day by day. So yeah something else to consider something to
0: put in your brain noodle all right well i think that's about it for us tracy
1: I uh, that was tight
0: tight A tight tight hour all right well for tracy pearson i'm david woods brewing apart online and we'll talk to you again next time see y'all